You're listening to the Forrester Technopolitics Podcast, inspiring commentary and intelligent insight from experts in the thick of it. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Mike Walter. I'm a principal analyst at Forrester, and I'm here with Brian Hopkins. How you doing, Mike? Good. Let's talk about big data. Let's do it. Everyone's talking about big data. Yeah, almost too much, it seems. Yeah. Uh, and what the hell is it? Yeah, exactly. What is it? <laughs> so... Uh, how do you define it? Or, or when clients ask you what big yeah. data is, like what do you tell them? Well, so actually we wrote a definition of big data yep. in the, the research that we released for CIOs called Expand Your Digital Horizon with Big Data. Mm-hmm. And it, what we said big data was is essentially tools and technologies that make uh, managing or uh, getting value from data at extreme scale uh, affordable or economical. And, you know, that seems like a very simple definition. That seems like a very simple definition, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Really, I think that it's the key of the way we're telling clients they need to think about big data. Well, extreme scale, uh, that makes sense, except mm-hmm. extreme scale, what it means to be extreme, keeps changing. It keeps well, growing, that's, getting But that's bigger. the exact point. It's ah. Big data is not two terabytes or two petabytes, or there's no demarcation. It's whatever is not affordable for you today that will be or can be affordable with new techniques and technologies. So it's the frontier. It's the frontier. Yeah. That's what we think. Yeah. And it, th- that's the important thing, too, is it's techniques and technologies, right? There is no magic technology box where you dump data into and turn the crank and out. I thought that insights. was Hadoop. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Because no. <laughs> a lot of people equate, don't they? A lot of people equate big data with Hadoop. Yeah, exactly. And no. Hadoop's part of the story. It, yeah, but it, it's it not is. the whole thing. It's yeah. not the whole thing. In fact, the way I've been explaining it to clients is there's kind of a two by two matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one dimension is is latency, right? High latency batch and low latency real time. The other dimension is is structure from mono schema or highly structured to uh, lightly structured or unstructured. So if you think about that as a two by two matrix, each quadrant has its own set of technologies. Hadoop, of course, is more in the high latency unstructured space for instance, but mm-hmm. for instance, in the low latency structured space, there's things like in-memory technology, which are being used for analytics to, to generate more real-time question and answer type of things. That's also a piece of it. And just to be clear, so when you say unstructured, you mean things like text, uh, right. feeds from social media, and by structured, you mean like relational databases. Well, that, exactly. And that's yeah. one of the things that people associate things like Hadoop with unstructured. Mm-hmm. And, and the truth of it is what we see is Hadoop is a, a, a distributed file system so you put unstructured files in it, but most of those files have some structure in them, like a web log, right? right? So even though it's a file unstructured, it's not like we see people using Hadoop for uh, email or free text processing. It's more around files that have some structure and parsing that structure and doing analytics on those in a very scalable way. So where is this extreme frontier now? If you know, if big data is on the extreme, uh, right. you know, how, are there examples? I mean, I would think that... <clears throat> Uh, you hear a lot of life sci- science examples where mm-hmm. they're storing DNA data. Right. Uh, but you also hear, I hear a lot of telecom where right. they're storing call data records yeah. in the billions. I mean, is, well, is that Yeah, I mean, you hear people using uh, uh, distributed. So first off, when we talk about big data technology, the way I've been explaining it to clients is, generally speaking, it's massively parallel for huge workloads. It offers you a flexible analytic model, so late schema binding or no schema, schemaless kind of things. You don't have to have just one schema. All right, so so I want to stop you there yeah. though, because when you said highly parallel, mm-hmm. I think of Netiza, I think of Teradata, 
But then when you say about the schema, I right, think, right. well, maybe not. Well, yeah. Is, well, well, so that's the thing. It's, yeah. These aren't hard, fast rules. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, you know, big data technologies are massively parallel, but that includes Teradata and Atiza. Mm -hmm. um, generally, they can allow you to have a more flexible schema model. So some of the columnar databases, Aster, Vertica, right, Greenplum, mm -hmm. give you the capability to late bind uh, a schema to a particular data that you've captured in the columnar format. So that gives you more flexibility than, say, a Teradata, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, the last thing is, is they tend to be linearly scalable. So you can buy as much as you need, and then when your data needs grow, you can buy some more. Right. But, I mean, there is no perfect, not, you know, one technology doesn't fit all three. But when you start to see pieces, parts of these things, and then, and that essentially the business case, the price point for investing in those technologies is lower than what you have. Ah, you've got a big data problem. Right, right. right. So, so when you say, you asked me the question a minute ago, well, what is big data? You know, typically we see folks using big data technologies for petascale in terms of, of volume. Mm -hmm. um, but high velocity cases, for instance, the University of Ontario uh, connected uh, um, to all the medical equipment that was monitoring uh, premature babies. I think it was 96 million data points uh, a day was what they were collecting. Yeah. Uh, and they used a streaming technology from IBM to essentially only persist that data for a very short window, and then you run it through a filter, and then that filter does the intelligence. Mm -hmm. So they weren't even really storing it, weren't using Hadoop, but the streams technology they were using was massively parallel, flexible analytic model, very scalable. Was that IBM InfoSphere streams? It was, yes. Yeah, I've heard right. of that. I've so, I mean, that's a big data use case as well, right? And it didn't have anything to do with data storage. It was more high-velocity number of data points, you know, per a period of time. And when you get up into the hundreds of millions, you know, within a, a couple of hours or a day, we see the big data technologies beginning to take over. But there is no one dividing line. Right. So if we were to kind of categorize the technologies, uh, there's data warehouses. Mm -hmm. There's which, <clears throat> which I guess are can be distributed, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think of them as a big refrigerator size appliance, right, but right, you right. can connect them together. Right, right, they can be massively parallel together. Right, and then you have distributed technologies. Hadoop is, is the most notable. Mm -hmm. um, you also have uh, NoSQL. Right. Um, things like MongoDB, mm -hmm. Cassandra. Would you right. also categorize those as big data technology? Um, Again, it really depends on the way that you're using them, mm -hmm. right? If you're using them to be more affordable for extreme scale problems, they can be tools in your toolkit, mm -hmm. right? Uh, things like uh, um, Cassandra and HBase, right, mm -hmm. um, offer you different trade-offs between consistency, availability, and partition tolerance, which are all, that's also another cons another thing that we find in big data solutions is they tend to, tend to force you to make these kinds of trade-offs because to be um, to be highly available, typically you have to either give up consistency or tolerance to partitions. Right. 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 And and so we see these trade-offs being made. So those kinds of databases like HBase or Cassandra that make those trade-offs and are massively parallel tend to be used to handle extreme scale. Therefore, they can be big data tools. Mm -hmm. And I guess another category would be cloud. Right. Am things like Amazon S3, Google <clears throat> has. Oh, well, Amazon Elastic Cloud Compute is there. Yeah their Hadoop implementation within Amazon. Right. Right. Um, Microsoft Azure. Mm -hmm. uh, Google has a new SQL thing. It's a very, uh, it's a it's a SQL engine. Right. That I think uh, is, is very fast and allows large data. But that, right. then you have the issue when you use the cloud of the movement of the data. Right. 
uh, back and forth. Because yep. uh, if you're moving petabytes across the right. internet, that's not practical. Well, that's the way you say it. data t- t- tends to have gravity. Yeah. Where it collects a lot, it wants to stay there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard this other term uh, associated with Hadoop, uh, the, the term data landfill. Or Hadump. Oh, Hadump. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, I've heard people call oh, it that okay. before. Oh, okay. Well, I've, I've heard uh, the Hadoop hangover. Yeah, yeah. We got Hadoop and yeah. Well, now sorry, what I do we do? You're probably deeper into Hadoop than I am, but I've heard, heard a lot of that, right? It's, yeah. it, it's an interesting emerging use case in which we see you know, Hadoop being thought of as a staging environment on steroids, a place to stage and dump on a massive amount of stuff that you're not quite sure what you want to do with it. So you stream it as a fl- set of flat files into Hadoop, let Hadoop deal with where it goes. And, and, and then if you want to write MapReduce against that, have fun. But in a lot of cases, we're beginning to see other vendors connect, create connectors to Hadoop to pull that Hadoop data into, for instance, like an Aster data. Right. So Teradata, Aster data, and Hadoop are this ecosystem that they've created that allow you to source it into Hadoop, you know, do more structured columnar analytics and Aster data, Take those insights, pull them into Teradata, and use your traditional data yeah. warehousing uh, tools there. Yeah, I've heard right. a similar example with uh, Hadoop um, and, and SAP HANA. Uh-huh. Or Hadoop you know, and Greenplum. Greenplum, right. 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 So that's a very common use yeah. case. I, and I think this is an important point because big data isn't about just one of these technologies. Mm-hmm. Most of the large companies right. that have big data need a combination. Yes. It's, it's not like Hadoop's going to replace your data warehouse or your data rare exactly. warehouse replaces that. You, you need all of these technologies. Yeah, I talked to a lot of companies who are struggling with, well, if I, if I do Hadoop, do I, can I just get rid of my data warehouse? And, and, and the answer is probably not, we don't think. There's all kinds of cleansing, cleanliness, conforming things that you still want to be able to do um, you know, with the typical ETL processes. But there's an awful lot of use cases where you can just dump it into Hadoop or a NoSQL database and run uh, analytics against it uh, a lot faster and cheaper. And so it's just another tool in your toolkit. Right. And I guess the next natural question uh, about big data is, all right, I've got all this big data and I can handle it at the extreme. Mm-hmm. Now what the heck do I do with it? Right. And, right, and, that's, right. and that's sort of the analytical part of it. Yes. Uh, sometimes that can be data mining, mm-hmm. also known as predictive analytics. And it's it, so you actually have to have the ability to process this. Right. And I hear a lot of people talk about, well, we have Hadoop, we need Hadoop, we need to set that up. But then, right. well, what are you going to do with it? Right. They haven't thought that through. Well, and I get that all the time yeah. from, our, from our IT clients. What should we do? Uh, the advice I'm giving is don't do anything until until you have a notion of value that you and your business are partnering on, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something we think IT can get ahead of, right? In fact, the survey that we did last year on big data confirmed about 75% of the respondents said that you know, their big data initiatives were a joint IT business partnership where mm-hmm. they're both in it to win or fail together. And uh, that's what you need to do is find that notion of value, right, that your business has and, and what IT brings to the table is perhaps there's a more economical way to deal with that extreme scale and to realize the value out of your idea. Let's partner together and figure out how we can do it. Big data, in a way, has been around for a long time. Yeah. And But I think you and I are probably talking about it every day now. Uh, why do you think that is? Why well, do you think it's more on people's minds now? Well, it's part of the emerging technology research that we're doing now, and it's really showing a cycle. Mm-hmm. And the cycle is... There'll be business demands to do something, like more quickly and cheaply deal with all this information and get some value out of it. And there'll be technologies that allow you to do that, but that probably aren't as affordable as they could be. 
And that will go on for a long time, right? So predictive analytics been doing it for a long time. Massively parallel processing, grid computing been around for a long time. All these things have been around. But something will come along that makes it cheaper. Then all of a sudden, somebody will take advantage of that being cheaper and do something really cool. And what is that? Well, for instance, the Hadoop. Uh, yeah, what the Hadoop is that did. the catalyst? Yeah. Well, it began with with Google doing doing their implementation mm-hmm. and Big Table and all those things, right. and then Yahoo and Facebook and those that, that other organization coming together in Apache and doing the Hadoop implementation of it. And these things slowly built on one another, and it really just became about making it more affordable. And eventually, this will catch on. And, you know, a lot of vendors will get involved, a lot of emerging use cases, and, not, and, you know, the hype builds up. And then these new, so it will satisfy the needs, and then new use cases will pop out. People will discover new ways to use the technology. Those new ways to use the technology will then cause more excitement. And eventually, the stuff that doesn't work will go away, and the stuff that does will establish new business norms, right? And those business, new business norms mean we'll stop talking about it. It'll just be the way we do business. And then the cycle repeats. And that's what's going to happen with big data. We're all talking about it now. Five, ten years from now, it'll just be, be the way that business gets done. We won't be talking about it. Right. Um, another um, hot topic, I think, in big data is the unstructured nature of it, too. Mm-hmm. The availability now of unstructured data right. that, mm-hmm. that we didn't really have before. I guess you could argue that uh, a lot of that's coming from the web. Right. Um, I saw an article, I think it was yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, um, they mined about 6 million uh, uh, user-created content about mm-hmm. products. Right. And, they, and, they, and, and this company that did this, I think it was called BizarreVoice.com. It's mm-hmm. a company that sort of analyzes this data. They analyzed the suggestions uh, for the products. And a lot mm-hmm. of it was uh, new product color right. uh, or uh, they wanted an old model of a product. And so I think companies are trying to use a lot of this unstructured data that they couldn't use before as well. Right. And I think that's been driving it as well. You know, but the real interesting thing is, um, and some clients I've been talking to recently, I think the real goal mind is in measuring uh, client behavior through the mobile channel, mm. right? There's an awful lot of data coming into us now uh, through client interaction, uh, through apps, Client interaction through the mobile web and 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 client geolocation data. Yeah, geolocation's right? big. And so I was talking to a, a um, an executive the other day who said, you know, social and and, and mining things out of the, the Twitter stream or mining things out of blogs, that's okay. But what people do is way more valuable than what they think or what they say. Yeah, or what some people right. think, right? Because right. the Twitter stream is is, is is it really representative? That that's a good point. And I noticed um, I was at the Google I/O conference about mm-hmm. a month ago. And they rele- released their new Android uh, uh, operating system, right. codenamed Jelly Bean. And they're talking about a new system where you can opt in on your location, and it will detect your com- commuting pattern. Oh, interesting. You know, after a while, it's like, gee, uh, this guy seems to go to Cambridge right. quite a few times a week Right, right. At, in the morning. Well, opt-in geolocation services is going to be a huge thing. Have you heard yeah. of Geoloki? No. Yeah, really interesting small startup in the Valley founded by a, a, a gal by the name of Amber Case. And really what Geoloki is doing, if I understand it correctly, is they're creating a middleware that, that deploys partly uh, in your servers and partly on the app and allows users to assert much more control over the information that's released uh, uh, when you opt in for location services. So we need things like that to give people more assurance that their data is not being used for purposes that they don't agree to. Mm-hmm. 
But then, you know, once you have those in place, then people will be able to share a lot more of their information. Companies will be able to give back uh, coupons or services due to their location. And that's just going to unlock an explosion that things like big data, we're going to really need to take advantage of. See, that, that, that's a really interesting technology. And on the one hand, I think it's needed to, for more adoption mm-hmm. uh, to get location-based. But on the other hand, I think of, like, the generations that, like, grew up on social media right. sharing things that, you know, probably you and I would never think to share, you know, uh, uh, that people are sharing now. Right. So maybe sharing your location is is no problem. I don't well, know. It's a huge it's a huge cultural demographic shift. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's something you and I now are like it just appalls us to think about that. Yeah. But I think that the younger generation is not going to be so concerned. Right. There's some people I've talked to who says, well, they will be concerned when something happens. Mm-hmm that forces the the issue. For instance, like when the Pinto exploded in the 70s, it yeah. forced us to get a lot more concerned about, oh, yeah. Yeah, about yeah. automobile safety, right? And that may or may not happen with, with, with personal data sharing. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? think, think of recommendation engines, even like Amazon. Right. You know, back in the day when Amazon was first there, it was a little bit alarming that they're making a recommendation based upon something you bought before. Uh, and now many people really enjoy that service. Well, you know? I think what people are concerned about is your access to health care, uh, your ability to get a job, mm-hmm. you know, all those things being based on um, information you shared about what you did in your own personal time. And I think there's a big role for government in there to make sure that doesn't happen. And I think we're kind of moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what yeah. people are concerned but I, but about. But I think you make a good point that, you know, part of this information explosion is coming from mobile. Because, pe- you know, it's mm-hmm. not just that there's location data, but it's that people have more access to computers. They're online more, right? too. And, and we can record everything Th- they do. Through mobile. Right, through right. mobile. And, yeah. that, and that's what we're seeing companies begin to realize, that the real gold mine is in understanding how people are behaving via the mobile channel. Right. right? That, that's the real, not what did somebody say, but what did they actually do? How did they buy? Where did they shop? What did they look at? Right. That's the goal to go find out, well, how do I sell this product or service better? Yeah. Uh, there's been a bunch of data out recently showing how uh, certain traditional services like Pandora have mm-hmm. switched over. Like 60% of Pandora right. traffic is now over mobile. Right. Say, you know, the music service versus on the web. So, right. uh, you know, there's a huge shift. Uh, I think uh, more people are buying smartphones. Mm-hmm. So everyone's going to be connected this way. Right, right. Uh, the other thing I think of a lot is the population of the world, which is uh, estimated to be 7 billion people. Right. Uh, that's a lot of people. Yes. How many of those people, though, uh, and people ultimately are the ones right. that generate data, right? Right. And how many of those seven billion people are actually connected? I mean, there's billions that don't even have access to the internet yet, right? And but they're getting it. But didn't we? I mean, it was Forrester Research that projected there'll be a billion smart devices on the planet by 2016. Right. 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 And and that's remarkable. Oh yeah. When you think that that's a billion, but hey, guess what? There's seven billion people. Right. Uh, and and uh, as technology gets cheaper. Uh, this technology is going to get into the hands of more and more people. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who still have feature phones, right? You know, and they're but and they're going to have for smartphones. So that's even more data, more connection, right? I think that's good. Yeah, is I that a good end? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that was good. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Forrester Technopolitics podcast. Read more about the technology fuel disruption. And join the discussion at blogs.forrester.com.